Okay, so uh, we'll get started. Uh, hello and welcome to Office Hours by People Design. My name is Kevin Budelman, President of People Design, and I'm here with my partner and strategy director, Jake Himmelsbach. Hello. Uh, Office Hours is a time we've set aside to discuss ideas we're thinking about at People Design and issues we experience firsthand with our customers. Earlier this month, we published uh, a short piece on our blog and on LinkedIn called Say What You Mean. And the idea of uh, saying what you mean is related to a concept that we have been working on for, for several years now, really, where uh, even in these uh, relatively challenging communication times, um, trying to think through ways in which communication is a way to innovate is uh, something that all organizations should consider. Uh, as we think about the communications technology revolution that we are all experiencing, um, we're, we're in an era where communications becomes more and more of a powerful tool and something that organizations should be cognizant of. So backing up a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty clear to us that um, for you know, probably the last hundred years or, or at least, uh, most organizations, you know, develop products and services and that's what they consider that they, that's what they do. There's this kind of relationship between what they say and what they do. So what they do is they, they deliver products and services. And over time, they become better and better at uh, optimizing their processes and their, their organization to uh, perform on, on those functions better and better. And traditionally, sales and marketing is essentially seen as kind of the what you say about the things that you do uh, in order to uh, you know to to sell and and acquire customers and retain them and so forth. Uh, these days, in a new era of more information and more customer choice, uh, that dynamic is starting to flip. So, if we think about in the last hundred years, organizations would do something and then find something to say about it. In many ways, they're starting to reverse that and say something which would enable them to do different things. So as we think about um, some of the, the indicators in the marketplace, if you follow someone like Simon Sinek and the, starting with why, or for that matter, organizations in the technology space, they're moving away from kind of the more uh, sort of straightforward definition of what they do and they start thinking about what they do in, a, in broader terms. Uh, and as we think about it from a brand strategy standpoint, we think about it less in terms of what customers buy, but what they buy into. So starting with saying something first, uh, it means knowing, you know, having a better sense of what you're going to actually say, having a greater sense of clarity about what you're going to sort of represent in the marketplace. So if we think about what you say, a lot of it has to do with you know the name of an organization, what claim they're making in the marketplace, and in a broader sense, they're what what they're sort of how they're reframing sometimes the customer problem. Um, what does the organization do? But moreover, what's the promise or what's the story? So we think about things like uh, several years ago when Apple Computer lost the name Computer from their name. It isn't as if they stopped making computers. In fact, they made more and more kinds of computers, but I think that the, they started to deliberately think about uh, the different expansive categories of products that they were moving into, consumer products and so forth. And also thinking about the mindset of the customer where they, increasingly the customer may not even think about a watch 
or a phone as a computer, even though that's what essentially it is. So in many ways, organizations, as they start to adopt uh, more kind of abstract names, uh, more metaphorical names, it enables those organizations perhaps do something different. So if we think about Amazon, for example, which is a big river or Google, which is essentially a big number, you know, there's almost nothing those organizations can't do that doesn't feel out of bounds for what the name implies. So we think about, you know, names increasingly or claims in the marketplace as uh, something that is about customer possibility, but also about sort of permission, the internal team's permission to sort of uh, uh, to do different things. We think about the this sort of new idea about what you might say or claim in the marketplace as kind of a strategic focus. And uh, so there's a lot that, that has, can be built on, on this kind of idea. Um, there are, uh, there's, there's a fellow named Shane Meeker who is the corporate storyteller at uh, P&G. And he talks a lot about how story is how we understand the world. And uh, he even references on his website, this Native American proverb about those who tell the stories rule the world. And I think it becomes this question of, you know, what story are you trying to tell? Um, which, you know, th this idea is not new in, in the business world in terms of it kind of relates to the idea of envisioning. Uh, but I think that increasingly it's about not just envisioning, but like, how do you actually create something new? I mean, no one asked for an iPhone and, you know, Amazon was not a, was not a company that was envisioned by customers. Certainly it was basically trying to fulfill on customer unmet needs. But I think that there's also, there are also risks to, to this idea of just stating kind of a, or claiming something in the marketplace that is um, not just a fantasy versus a vision. If we think about the various failures from the dot-com era or even, you know, what has happened to WeWork in the last, uh, the last year or so where there was a promise that was not kept by that organization. So we, we think about trying to balance the uh, the strategic objectives of an organization and the customer unmet need as finding focus. You know, we, we see too, too often envisioning exercises are, are seen as almost like a corporate walkabout or just about self-discovery. But as any good communication is half sender and half receiver. And so we think about it as trying to not just understand the customer on a surface level, but also their motives and behaviors and beliefs, desires. You know, in a sense, every, every good storyteller knows its listener. So for us, it's about saying something different that might enable different things and how, you know, the question becomes how, how might new words inspire new actions? And how might you think more expansively about what, what you're claiming in the marketplace that might open up possibilities for your customers and more permission for your team? So I'll just pause there for a second. And I don't know if anyone listening has a question and uh, Jake and I may kind of talk a little, little bit more about, about some of this, but if there's anyone has a question, please jump in. But if, if there are none, we'll go from here. Yeah, so Kevin, you mentioned um, the idea of naming and how naming sometimes is based on, uh, on a product or a service or an offering. You know, one of the things as we've gone through our work, we've noticed that um, <clears throat> sometimes clients, you know, whether they're B2B or B2C, uh, can sometimes have a tendency to uh, focus almost too heavily on their offer. And um, how their offer, if you do that, you can become a little bit too rigid. 
Um, and this economy really requires a lot of agility. Um, how does starting with the say help organizations become more agile? I think that um, uh, as we think about how customers increasingly make choices today, a lot of it is that their customers are faced with a lot more choices than they used to have. And that I think that the, the historical vision of, you know, organizing a company around and even naming a company around what it does um, is a bit of an older paradigm. If you think about some of the, the dominant players of the industrial era, they have names that are very straightforward in terms of things like General Motors or General Electric. You know, there was no mystery about what they were trying to, what they did as an organization. It was just that the name is in, in some ways just a label. But increasingly, I think they're the, you know, future focused organizations are starting to think more broadly about what they are representing in the mind of the customer. As customer has more choices, they, um, they're not just buying a product, but they're buying into an idea. And so trying to think about, you know, as I mentioned, Google or Amazon in this era of communication and uh, customer meaning or big data, trying to think clearly about what it means in the mind of the customer. So when you start to lay this foundation for new possibility, and we've experienced this on a number of occasions, as you know, Jake, with, mm -hmm. with, with customers, you know, there, there are moments where, you know, an organization may define itself fairly narrowly, but in a more expansive idea tends to loosen things up. And as, as I mentioned, both, both in terms of what the customer's expectations are, like, oh, I didn't know you might be able to provide that too. That's related idea, this related product or service. But also it enables, I think, the internal team to think about themselves differently. Um, you know, in a, in, a, in a sense, it becomes kind of, you know, how do you define yourself and reframe what the organization stands for uh, opens up different possibilities for the team to work together. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's interesting too, because you're, you're, you're talking about reframing, um, the offer, the organization and the role, your individual role, right? So, um, always good things to, uh, to aspire to, but very, very difficult to do, right? So organizational changes, um, is really, really difficult. Uh, I know you talk about new silos uh, for the new organization mm -hmm. um, and how we can start to shift through that. Talk a little bit about what do you mean when you say new silos? What does that mean for collaboration? And how are those new silos uh, going to help organizations um, satisfy uh, on, on, um, on ultimately that, that promise that they're, they're making? Yeah, so we've, and as you know, we've been kicking around this idea of um, new silos. This, um, the idea that really came out of the idea that, um, so for, you know, the last couple of decades at least, there have been a lot, there's been a lot of discussion about breaking down silos. So many organizations tend to have different uh, departments, and I think that there have been sort of historically, you know, sort of straight out of MBA school and kind of organizational design uh, approaches where you have a marketing group and you have an IT group and you have a sales group. And these have, and, and you know, I think in many ways, those are, those are useful ways to think about structuring an organization and, um, and have worked for a, for a lot of years. Um, but I think it's also useful to recognize that some of these ideas themselves are about 100 years old. And so what you know, a common mantra for the last couple of decades has been to start, start talking about breaking down silos. And what they mean by that often, of course, is that one group doesn't know what the other group is doing exactly. 
And I think what's happened is that it's, 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 there's been kind of a symptom of our increasingly pervasive and more fluid world where these things start to overlap more and more and more. And you know, the emergence of the cross-functional team has become kind of a mainstay in corporate, uh, corporate environments nearly around the world now. Um, the challenge is, and we've joked about this in the past, is I, I think that the, the combination of shared calendaring and, and cross-functional teams means that most corporate people spend all day long in, in meetings and no one quite knows how to get, quote unquote, the work done. Yeah. Um, so the, the observation we've made is that, you know, it could very well be that the future version of this is going to be less about breaking down traditional silos, but actually in some ways just having different silos or new silos. And so things like, you know, the conventions that have emerged uh, uh, out, of the, out of an older era where all things digital are related to IT, at some point becomes redundant right. uh, because, you know, really IT has some historical roots in terms of what they do and what their capabilities are and their skill sets and their focus. But increasingly, nearly everything is digital. I mean, it, so at some point saying digital is going to be just as redundant as calling something electric. Um, and similarly, from our perspective, branding is the same way. It's easier to think about a brand as a, as an, as a function of marketing, but, but truly, you know, a brand is everything that every kind of interaction or touch point a customer has with an organization. So from our perspective, starting to think about new structuring thing, structuring a, a team in, internally in a way that is representative of maybe some new paradigms or new silos, as we've described it, is a way to, to start thinking about customer relevance and customer and, and, and internal agility to be better, to, to remain relevant to the customer, I guess. And it's just sort of like better reflective of, mm -hmm. the, of the customer expectations. And so much of this sort of say do paradigm is trying to say something and do things that are more relevant to the customer. So how does the internal organization, what happens under the hood? You know, what does the internal organization do to, to, to make sure that it's sort of responsive enough and, and organized in a way that makes some sense uh, that correlates to the customer's sort of sense of what's important. So think, things like customer experience and brand and, and how technology is used in a smart way um, may look different in terms of an internal structure than, than, than historical modes. So, and then achieving that change does not necessarily happen overnight, right? But you've got to have some catalyst, you've got to have some team alignment. Talk about how do you, how do you set the proper pace? Because if you go too fast, you can break things. If you go too slow, you may miss your window of yeah. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we, you know, as you know, we, you know, we sort of the premise of our work today is is kind of the assumption that we're in, in a period of rapid change that uh, that is historically um, quite different than other periods. So, you know, there, the, the, the level of technology change, uh, and you think about the, you know, the, the rise of a company like Google that's only maybe 20 years old, but is already a dominant player. I mean, you can imagine what, where is Google going to be or Amazon even more so perhaps, where's Amazon going to be in 20 years? Um, it's kind of, a, you know, it's kind of alarming how quickly things are changing. So I think it's, um, if you, if you take the premise that sort of change is inevitable and what we have found is some of our clients, you know, some, so for some clients, they, they find this to be an obvious conclusion and other clients outright resist change, right? But from our perspective, if you take 
the assumption that change is sort of an inevitability given our the, the, the market landscape today. The question becomes, from our perspective, we think about it in terms of these two levers, you know, how far or how fast. And, um, you know, how far has to do with this idea of a vision or what are, you, what are you going to say or claim in the marketplace, which is to say, how much more different will we be in the future than we are today? Right. Which is a question that I, I suppose is like, you know, sort of a risk tolerance question, a sense of, you know, the appetite for disruption. Um, um, and, you know, or, and, or how much you can decouple your future self, self from your current one, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. And then how fast. And, and, and actually, in some respects, how far is usually not as hard because in some respects, if you can start to, you can dream, you can always dream big. If you say, if time and money weren't an issue, you can imagine some future state where we're way more innovative than we are today. Um, but I think the how fast question is often, but in some ways, the harder one because it gets, that's where really the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a question that, you know, it has, there's so many factors. There's resources and the mind share of the, of the investors or the leadership team, other kinds of team dynamics, you know, whether people will resist change, other kinds of hurdles that may need to be overcome. Uh, I think the, the urgency, the sense of urgency, uh, which I think a lot of it has to do with the speed of the market. Not, not every market changes at the same rate. Some mm -hmm. markets are changing very rapidly and some are changing rather slowly. But do you um, think that's, yeah. so, so do you, that's interesting. So the speed of the market is kind of that outside pressure, Yeah. but the speed of the organization is what changes internally, right? So even if the market is slow, yeah. the, the organization needs to change at the pace of the, of the industry, right? So, but it also goes back to, you know, I've, I've always felt that the, um, we've talked about this, yeah, yeah. the organization can only change as fast as it's people can change. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to that idea of new silos and how do you, um, I, how do you, what do I want to say, uh, identify uh, yourself as, as an employee? Like what are, what do I take pride in? Where do I place my, my self value in terms of my work in terms of, do I look at it as, um, Hey, I'm really good at moving, uh, you know, the widget from here to there, or do I look at it in terms of, do I abstract that up to say, I'm really good at taking complexity and simplifying it. And <clears throat> I think what's interesting about that too, is that if uh, just like we were saying about companies defining themselves by the offer become too rigid, if employees of talent defines themselves by their titles, mm -hmm. they can become too rigid as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and we've talked about these yeah. as you know, once you kind of hit that mid career, you had some really good success doing certain things. Why change? Because you've got the most to lose, right? Your kids are in college. You're making a good income. Uh, whereas Newton and the C-suite, let's go for change, right? They've got yep. nothing to lose. Yep. Now, if we start defining roles in squishier terms, that becomes a little bit more foggy for you as the employer. So I guess. How do you and I'm like as as you know owner of People Design, Mr. Lawyer guy. How do you balance uh, having someone focus on certain things that need to just get done in the office versus growing their understanding or ability in some of these more abstract spaces? How do you balance them or challenge them to kind of redefine themselves while still keeping their eye on the ball? 
Yeah, it's a it's a good question. That's probably not a good answer. <laughs> but it, I think it's you know it's interesting because I, I think about the um, you know we've we've had we've had clients in higher ed for example, and the, the you know the 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 mantra of lifelong learning is not just a label. You know, it's not mm -hmm. it's, it's truly I think something that you know more and more of us, and it's true of people design and true among our clients, uh, where people have to you know throughout your career learn, I think that there's kind of this, and, and, and certainly there's a, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that people will now, you know, will rarely just have one career even in their, mm -hmm. in a sense in, the, in their life, but they'll sort of redefine themselves, themselves several times. In fact, I was just reading, uh, reading a book called um, Tono and Lessons for the 21st Century. And he was talking about how, the author was talking about how, um, you know, the biggest risk going forward is going to be not so much a lack of jobs conceivably, but a, uh, whether people, people's elasticity in a sense, which yeah. is to say, will they be able to reinvent, how many times in your career, your lifetime, will you be able to reinvent yourself yeah. <laughs> because of the, the, the level of change? I, I think about it as, you know, there's always kind of a, um, you know, there's that concept of flow where you're kind of balancing between, you know, the, the difficulty of the task or the newness of the task to you versus your skill set. And as long as you can remain in that flow, um, I mean, I sort of, I sort of buy into that idea. And because there's always something that is something, you can't be always trying something new all the time or else right. you'll never get any work done. Like there's any, no, if it, you know, efficiency gets kind of, you know, the, 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 the teeter totter, if you will, between efficiency and innovation, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, once you know how to do something, you become more efficient and you can do it. Which isn't to say, I mean, as I mentioned at the top, where organizations get very good at efficient at doing something, and whether it happens at a company level or to your point at a kind of personal level, um, it's not like you stop that efficiency. But there is this kind of question of how do you build in enough time organizationally or just in someone's own personal growth path, as mm -hmm. opposed to figure out how to and and, and it, it to sort of like remain elastic enough to sort of like and sort of abstract their role to like, what is the future version of that same role using yeah. new technologies, tools, methods, that sort of thing. So, it's, yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. And then, you know, if you look at people, people are companies, companies kind of are the same, right? I mean, you're talking how, as we optimize, as companies optimize, they kind of drift away from the customer. And we've got to, if we start with the say, we're, we're that's less tangible, right? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a claim. That's a promise that we're making to the market. Yeah. And therefore, we could get into all sorts of things, yeah. you know. And, and there's this risk of becoming unfocused, but um, but you have to figure out how to balance time and budget appropriately to not just do the same old, same old, but to explore some of these experiments that, quite frankly, might fail, um, but hopefully push the organization forward in different ways. How do you think organizations should think about that balance in terms of? whether it's uh, time, money, or even just the risk of becoming unfocused as they venture out into new, uh, new territory through, uh, through their claim. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I think it's a, I think there's a question of, you know, as a part of this is the question of sort of means and ends, which is a, another way to think about it, I guess, you know, abstraction in terms of how organizations add value. It's, and it's like, we, you know, it's, it's if you witness today how uh, you know, Ford, for example, you know, you can think about Ford Motor Company as a manufacturer of cars, yeah. but 
really, I mean, the, 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 the byproduct, the actual end product of the car is the, is the end, but the, uh, you know, or sorry, it's, it's the means, I should say. The end is sort of essentially about mobility and Ford, of course, now claims that, that it's, it's essentially a mobility company. If Ford had a hundred years ago defined itself as a mobility company, they might've done things more, you know, beyond cars, which is kind of what they're getting into increasingly today. But I think as a turn, you know, I think that there's kind of this question of keeping your sights. So like on one hand, it's useful to think about mobility versus cars because it keeps your options open. On the other hand, you have to be efficient at making cars if you're a car, you know, if you largely yeah, that's are your, cars, bread and butter. your bread and butter. I think that's true for, for individuals too. You know, what is your sort of bread and butter, your, your staple set of skills in a sense. But I think that the, the, the risk is, and I think what has happened for organizations, many organizations that have been around for let's say 50 years plus that have not had as much, uh, had not experienced as much uh, dynamic change with these tech, you know, new technologies and so forth is that they developed habits where they don't question the means. So they don't question the car part. They didn't, they didn't think about mobility. So I think that there's kind of this question of, if you think about, you know, the, how much of your time as an organization or your resources or your budget, or for that matter, for your, you know, an individual's sort of sense of how much time do you spend honing your skills on the thing, on just doing the more, the, the more technical skill of getting something done versus you know how you know increasing the the uh, the uh, the tolerance organizational tolerance for a little bit of headspace and a little bit thinking you know looking up from the, the, your the daily grind enough to mm -hmm. recognize that the cars are about mobility and not just about cars and I think similarly in terms of an individual skill set how much do you think about you know you know that the 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 methods and skills that you've developed and, and that you, you had alluded to this a moment ago about how people we've certainly found you know the the question of change and organizational change who resists change the most you know it's the people who have the most to lose often there are people kind of mid-career is very common um the, the question is how can an organization give that employee the permission to not be an expert in something right, <laughs> and, right. and start to um, and, 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 and not, and not sort of because of their own sense of fear, double down on the thing that they think they're good at, or they have become good at the last 20 years, because that thing may become less and less relevant to the customer. So it's a, it's a do, do like, you think, thing almost. That yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you think that all companies should have to challenge themselves to, uh, in that way, in terms of saying, okay, well, what, what is our. What, are, what problem are we really solving and how, what are the other ways that we might solve that? I guess I'm thinking of like, I mean, if you're, let's say you've got something that's super heavily commoditized, um, but it's, it's going really great for you. Why, it's like the cash cow, right? So why challenge yourself to do something different or new? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's good to, <clears throat> I think it's a question of proportion. And I think that the mistake organizations and probably individuals make too, is that too much of the proportion of their energy is, is um, chasing that, what, that cash cow right now. And like that there's just a proportion, you know, it's like if you spend, it's a question of like, what is your budget for innovation? What is your budget for thinking about something new? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's, if you spend all of your energy going after the, the thing that is today, today's cash cow, you may miss tomorrow's cash cow. Of course, this is what you yeah. see all the time in terms of I mean, the history of examples of this are just littered, you know, the, the market littered with these things in terms of like, you know, the, the, the stories about Kodak 
shelving the digital camera that it had in its prototype and kind of getting eventually steamrolled by it or um, you know the supposed you know the all of the graphical user interface that essentially was was invented by Xerox at Xerox Park, but they also ignored that because they were concerned about copiers. This is a very this is a very common dynamic, I think, and it's just a question of trying to make make space for enough um, new thinking. So I think you know to me, and this is certainly you and I have found this too. If you think about some of the as we try to help organizations try to get more focused or get refocused. Sometimes the seeds of that idea are stem back to the founder because the company at the time, you know, the founder, the original inventor of a product, the original innovator, the original innovative idea, very, you know, clearly they came from an unmet need in the marketplace. They, they, they saw the, 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 um, the difference between the means and the ends. They understood what like customers, oh, the customers needed X, so I'm gonna produce Y. I mean, it's and it's not just in the technology, you know, the new tech space. If you think about the the classic, you know, narrative about what Henry Ford said about cars, and if he had asked customers what they wanted, they'd all want a faster horse. You know, he had to see something new. The challenge is like what's, you know, it's similar to today. If you know, if Ford asks its customers, "What do you need now?" They'll say, "Like, well, I want a better car or a cheaper car." And like, the truth is, they might need something totally different. So there needs to be enough space in the organization while you're making that money on today's cash cow to envision tomorrow's. I guess. Yeah. Well, and and um, and I guess I'll pause for a minute before I write a lot more questions. But <laughs> yes. does anybody uh, online have any questions for Kevin or I, or have any thoughts they'd like to share? All right, I'll hit hey. you with a couple more questions. Sure. Um, so, uh, so you mentioned kind of at the top that these are somewhat challenging times from a communication perspective. And it made me think about um, all the blur that's happening in terms of the ways that we communicate, how a lot of those communication channels are um, very fragmented and diverse in terms of, um, you know, whether it's an ad on TV to uh, talking to my Alexa, talking to my phone, um, you know, getting a, a vibration on my smartwatch. Um, and I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on, you know, we talk about business design, brand design and services, mm -hmm. right? And um, while they're each kind of different things, they all carry a level of communication. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about um, just what is that communication? How does communication harder and easier as we kind of blur the lines between, you know, value propositions, experiences, and, um, you know, more verbal communication, visual communication. Yeah, I think it's a uh, communication is one of these, it, it is a, um, it's an underlying part of all, all of our work, as you all know. And I, I think it's, um, and it's one of these things where I think communication is often just talked about, but not even all that well understood. You know, it's an incredibly powerful uh, tool, and it's gotten very complicated, especially if you think about social media. So you think about, you know, so Facebook is a perfect example of, you know, Facebook is, a, you know, primarily a communication, you know, a communication tool, right? I mean, you can you can broadcast, you can narrowcast, you can target. But it's all basically getting messages, and which is to say, also photo and video and so on. But it's, you know, it's you're basically communicating certain things out. 
And I think that, you know, depending on your perspective of social media platforms or Facebook in particular, you know, the, the naively optimistic view is that, you know, Facebook is just doing the world a huge service by connecting people more than they have. And certainly if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg, that's what he talks about. Um, on the other hand, I think we're all increasingly aware of the, the dangers and the risks. And there's a, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a strong analogy. I heard an uh, interesting interview with a, a professor from Cambridge talking about the, um, the parallels between the, the launch of Facebook and the um, distribution of the Gutenberg Bible and how, you know, how, how influential communications can be. And I don't think, and certainly in terms of social media, and this is why it's become, you know, it's both a huge opportunity because it's never been cheaper to, re to reach more people. I mean, think about digital marketing campaigns and email and texting, and there's so many ways to, to be able to get the message out. But in so, so in some ways it's easier, but in other ways it's never been harder because now suddenly we're, you know, we're in this era where there's so many communications that we're not even sure what to trust anymore. So, you know, suddenly, I mean, they certainly last, several years in the terms of the social platforms and the political dynamics, suddenly it's not just a, a matter of just getting to people, but who do you trust and what do you believe and what do you, you know, it gets into these things. And that's why I think in part, as we've talked about meeting unmet needs and, and trying to get people to, you know, uh, acquire customers or, or, or serve people, an organization that's serving people, how do you connect in a meaningful way becomes kind of this, one of the main ways in which, um, you know, you can add value to to the people you're trying to serve. That's great. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Anybody online have any last questions for Kevin before we, we jump off here? If not, maybe we'll wrap up. So um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you'd like, uh, like this information and you like discussions like this, please go to peopledesign.com slash subscribe. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter and you can also find us in all the usual places in social media. Um, and of course, if you want to find out more information about people design, um, please go to www.peopledesign.com. Thank you very much, everyone, and uh, have a great day.